0: So today we're jumping back into our sermon series, Disciple, as we've been going through the sermon series on the book of 1 Timothy, we've been talking about different ways in which we need to mature. We need to grow up in the faith. We can't be little kids in the faith all the time. We need to mature into men and women of faith. And part of maturing is being able to prioritize. Prioritize what's important and Spend your time and energy on those things. And the things that are less important, if you can fit them in, great. But if you can't, it's okay that they get neglected. That's a sign of maturity. Uh, I use video games as an example. People like to prioritize video games. Uh, And video games, you know, they have some value. They're entertaining, right? While you're on your video game, it's fun. It gives you a sense of accomplishment. You beat a game. You're like, hey, all right, I did something. There's some value in that. They've also been proven to uh, help hand-eye coordination and make quicker reflexes. There's some value to video games, but generally, when you turn that Xbox or that PlayStation off, the value of that video game is in it. It doesn't carry on into day-to-day life. And so, when we look at a 14 year old who spends a lot of time on video games, they're like, oh, well, I wish they went when they're 14, right? They're not that mature. It's all right. They'll learn to prioritize things. When we see a 24 or 25 year old who prioritizes video games, we start to take a step back like, wait a minute. Like, I get it. It's fun. I like video games too. But how are you making that a priority? Like, why are you up and spending four or five hours a night on that, when there's other things that you can spend that four or five hours on to actually have a much greater value, a much more lasting value. we you say that's a mark of immaturity, If you're still prioritizing this thing that has less value over the things that have more value, like perhaps a career and your family. And so that's what I want to talk about today spiritually. What are we prioritizing in our lives? If you'll turn and read 1 Timothy 4, 6 through 10. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. So the past passage here opens up with Timothy, uh, excuse me, Paul, rather, encouraging Timothy to be a good servant of Jesus. And it says by recommending these things, or telling these things, and what he's telling them if you back up to the beginning of chapter 4 is that there were false teachers rising up in the church. They had bad doctrine. In fact, it's a doctrine of demons that they were preaching. They were preaching um, asceticism, basically total denial of the body, total denial of the physical. They were saying, you should not marry, you should not eat these certain things. In fact, they uh they I was reading it to the saying you should only be eating vegetables. Not a very good diet. But they're teaching these things. And they're teaching them as doctrine. They're teaching them as the gospel. They're saying this is the way to godliness. And Paul says, no, that is not it. So these are things marriage, food, these are all things that have been created by God to be enjoyed. So he's telling Timothy, in, in showing the people this, this is false teaching, that's going to make you a good servant of Jesus. You need to be fighting this false doctrine. You need to be fighting these false teachers. You need to be going to the people and telling them the true way. So this is opposed by Timothy being trained in the words of faith and good doctrine. Timothy, you have been trained in words of faith and good doctrine. While this is addressed to Timothy, a pastor, I would say this is true of all disciples. All disciples need to be trained by the words of faith and good doctrine. See, as we've been going through this series called Disciples, we've been also defining what it means to be a disciple. And this is a lot of what we do on Tuesday nights is work through what it looks like to be a disciple. We have a definition for what a disciple is. A disciple is someone who worships Jesus. A disciple is someone who's being changed by Jesus. A disciple is someone who's learning to obey Jesus. And finally, a disciple is someone who's teaching others to do the same. See, the call to make disciples is not merely to one like portion of the church. It's not just pastors, and it's not just ministers who are called to make disciples. Anybody who is a disciple of Jesus is called to make disciples of Jesus. And so it is important that all of us as disciples are trained by God's word that we are trained in good doctrine. So that when we hear the bad doctrine, because when you're discipling people, you're going to find out they've been trained in some bad doctrine. You're going to find that they believe things are true that are not true. They are going to believe certain things that actually go against God's word. And you need to know God's word. You need to know good doctrine, so that you can combat that false doctrine. He further encourages Timothy, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths, but rather train yourself for godliness. Have nothing to do with these irreverent silly myths. The myths that it was through bodily discipline that you could somehow achieve holiness. That's a myth. You cannot do enough good things. You cannot beat your body down enough. To please god that's not going to happen he's saying godliness is more than just this physical thing it goes far beyond that there are still some people you will hear who preach this asceticism that it is only by doing these certain things that you're going to be godly that's not the gospel that's not what we have been taught. What we have been taught is that we can't do anything to please God apart from faith. It all has to start there. And so when you see people preaching that you have to do these certain set of things in order to come to God, you can say, no, that's not true. We know the doctrine that you come to God first. And those things those things that are bad will change also, the gospel gives you great freedom to enjoy those things which are good. I ran into, and i ran into actually several groups of people who, uh, and this is an example of that, who believe that you should never go to a doctor, and you don't go to a doctor. Why would you go to a doctor if you have God? And, and at first, it might appear like, oh man, those people have faith they are facing level of their faith in God. But, first of all, all healing comes from God, whether it's through medicine or not. But secondly, you are not going to find that anywhere in the scriptures. You are not going to find that. In fact, we see the opposite, even. Paul will actually encourage Timothy. Timothy has stomach ailments going up. And Paul writes to him and says, Timothy, stop drinking only water. Timothy, you're gonna to have to drink some wine in order to cure your stomach ailments. You do it. Stop drinking just wine. It's okay. It's okay to take the medicine so that you get better. So you can see how things where it's like, man, it, it, it seems extreme, but it might seem like it's got the holiness about it, and yet it's not scriptural. It's true. I had an ear infection this week. I believe I went to the doctor. I was like, this is not this is not working out. I'm not fighting it off of my own here. Need some medication. Living up a wonderful time of modern medicine. It's okay to take advantage of that. Please do. That's an irreverent myth. It's not true. You're not going to find that in scripture. There's other irreverent, silly myths that people believe and follow. I look right around the corner from a fortune teller. <laughs> They, they read palms, they read cards, they read the stars, they read all these things to tell you for your future. And there are people who buy into this, but that's not of God. In fact, you see the opposite. You see that you should be staying away from that. That you should be staying away from trying to communicate with the spirit world and all of that goes on with that. Have nothing to do with that. He's not saying don't know about it. You can know about it because you need to know what people believe in order to come against it with the truth. He's saying have nothing to do with Don't let that become a part of your life. Timothy, you, disciples. Don't let these irreverent, silly myths become a of your life. Stay far from it. And instead, Train yourself for godliness. Train for godliness. Why? Well, because godliness, as opposed to let's say, bodily training, godliness has value in all areas. Not just here and now in this life, but also in the life to come. Paul says, what bodily value is, or bodily training is of some value. Limited. There's some value. To it. It's limited. It's limited to you. If you're in good shape, you know it's limited to helping your family as well, so you can be around a long time with them. But ultimately, this life will end. And No matter how good the shape you're in, you're gonna die at some point. There's some value there, but it's limited. Godliness, though, value is here and now. There is also value in it after this life. In eternity there is value in Godliness. And so, because of that, we must take training in Godliness seriously. And we need to put it above training in all other areas. We need to put that above everything else in our life. We need to be in the Word. We need to be in prayer. We need to be around fellow believers. These things should come first, because this is how we train in godliness. All those other things have to come second, because their value, their scope is limited. You might replace this. Maybe you're not in the bodily training as much, although a lot of you in here are. Right? There's, there's some big guns in this church a lot of people lifted, which is good. There's value in that to a degree. Other things we see this and we see sports, training in sports, get put way up here. So that people, families are missing church on Sunday so that their kid can be in a game or a tryout. Sports are good, sports have some value. They train you body, you know, they, they train you to be physically active. They train you to work together as a team. They train you that all parts of a team are valuable. They train you to reach towards a goal. They have value. Sometimes you might get a scholarship. They might have a little bit of monetary value to your kid. They're probably not going to grow I'm sorry. But there is some value there, but it's so limited. There's a a date to You know, shelf life to that value, and then it's going to be over. Other things creep in that people are more worried about being disciplined than God is. Financial discipline. Financial discipline is a good thing. There is value in it. It's good to know how to make a budget. It's good to know how to invest and save and do all those things. But there's limited value to money. There's limited value to that. So old saying goes, you can't take it with you when you're dead, right? The value of money is limited to this life. Can't buy love, right? There are things money can't do. Its value is limited. There are people who take training for their job and put it at the top. They say me being good at this job is what's most important. It's going to give me a promotion, it's going to give me a raise, it's going to give me status. And so I'm taking my training for this job and I'm putting it up here and everything else comes second. That also has limited value. You're only at work so long, there are things more important than work. At some point you'll have to retire. The value of that training in your job is limited and all these things I've talked about. They're good, and there is value in them. The value stops. The value of godliness continues on into eternity. It starts here and now, and there are great things about here and now, but when you die, that's just the beginning. It carries on into eternity. The value of godliness is more than anything else on earth. Paul tells Timothy, it is to this end that we toil and strive. The end of Godliness. Godliness in themselves, but Godliness in those who they are discipling as well. That is what they're working so hard towards. We think church planning is rough in New England. You should not tried it for these guys. They were beaten. They were thrown in jail. They were outcasts, and yet they were toiling and striving continually anyway, so that godliness would come to bear in their lives and the lives of their disciples. And why would they toil and strive to that end, to the end of godliness? Because as they put it, their hope is in the living God. So Paul says, our hope is in the living God. It's important that you know what your hope is in. Because what you place your hope in is going to affect your actions. If your hope is in the living God and Him alone for your salvation, then you are going to say, training in godliness is absolutely what should be up here. And training in everything else for a second. But if your hope is in your job, then that training is most important. If your hope is in how you look, then all of a sudden that physical training becomes most important. What you place your hope in will determine your actions. Our hope is in the living God. Your hope should be in the living God only place where our hope will never be disappointed. Where our hope will never be better. So, we're just coming out of the political season, right? And you saw what happened when people put their hope in things other than God. Their hope was in a candidate or a political party. And because of that, their hope being in those things, they start training themselves in those things. They start arguing why their side, left or right, or I guess for you guys left or right, right, why their side is better than the other side. They train in that, they research that, they're arguing that. But because their hope has been in that, leads to what I would call a lot of ungodly things. For example, if your hope was in the left side of things, your hope was in your candidate, Hillary Clinton, she didn't win, so that hope was taken away. And if you watched the election coverage that night, you saw people just in despair. Like you could see it coming about 10 o'clock, it became pretty clear that Florida and most likely Ohio was going to Trump. You saw the despair they had the camera at Hillary Clinton's convention, and like people were wailing, were in despair, Is their hope had been taken from. See if your hope was in the living God; He's not going anywhere. So even if you fall on the left side of the political spectrum, even though your candidate Is losing, you're not in despair, because you know who has your destiny in his hands. I saw the right side of the political spectrum. Their hope based in Donald Trump rejoice. They seem to think that Donald Trump is going to solve all their problems, but that's not the case. That's not a godly attitude to have. I saw brothers and sisters in Christ who have placed their hope so much in that that it's blinded them to the other half of the country more, actually, if you go by the popular vote. It's blinded them to their, their concerns and to their worries. And instead of seeing compassion and caring from those Christians on the right, You've seen derision towards the other side. I have seen those who I know call on the name of Jesus, call other people terrible names. Call Obama terrible names. Not just like, oh, I thought he was a bad president. I mean, like, words I definitely can't say to you at all. Because you're, their hope, they've gotten off track in where they're placing their hope. Their hope is suddenly in. Their government and in the Republican party and in Donald Trump and it's caused them to act in ways that are not God. That's one example. You can think of many other things that your hope might be in. And if your hope has been in something else, I want to call you right now to repent and come back and make sure that ultimately your hope is in the living God who is, as it says, the Savior of all people, but especially of those who believe. Our hope is in God because he sent his Son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. We know that our hope is not going to be let down if he was willing to do that for us. He held nothing back from us in order to save us. His only Son, He gave to live as a man, to die the worst death imaginable. That's why we can place our hope in Him and know it's never going to be disappointed. I do want to hit that scripture real quick because sometimes that scripture gets used as sort of uh, an angle for universalism. because It says He's the Savior of all people, but notice it didn't stop there. He's the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. You see, he, God sent His Son Jesus down so that all people could be saved. The, it is there. The invitation is there for everyone to be saved if their faith is in Jesus. But their faith has to be there in order for that salvation to take effect Should drive us to put our hope in God and God. Because if God was willing to give Jesus, what else is he going to withhold from us? Nothing. He will withhold nothing that is good for us from us. And that is good news now and in this life. But it carries on. The value is not limited this life value goes on into eternity. There are rewards in heaven for godliness. There is the reward in heaven. Us being with God forever. That can never be taken from us. See, godliness has value always. It has a greater value than anything else. And that must drive us to the It must drive us to prayer. It must drive us to fellowship with other believers. Let us strive to do that together. To push one another on, To push ourselves up To God.